Thank you, Robin. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Come on. Yes. So before we get started on talking about today, I want to just share some things with you on the last words of Jesus from the cross. And as I do that, there's a really a good demonstration that a good friend of mine gave to me who wishes to remain anonymous. And when you see how cool this is, you're going to wonder why, but that's okay. We'll let him remain anonymous. So now you know it's a him. Anyways, so I've asked my brother, Robert Maxwell, to come up here and help me with this demonstration real quick. Max, Robert, you want to come on up here and we'll, let me just show you something. Um, so many of you have these white sheets as you came in, yes, I hope, because that's what we're going to talk about right now. I want to read, I'm going to read through this paper, but I want to show you. So the, we figured it was not a good idea to pass these out to everybody in the Congress. I don't, Brad, I don't know, brother. They told me I couldn't give them out to everybody. I don't know, especially husbands, wives, and kids. It's, I don't know what's going on. So we're going we're gonna to talk about this a little bit. So I want to show you something. So basically, I brought Robert up here because I want to show how it feels to drive these nails into your hands like Jesus felt. So that's what we're talking about. Your hands? Did I forget? I, <laughs> I might not have told him that part. I'm kidding. It's not really going to go through his hands. But, Robert, what I'd like you to do is just take your hand and put it flat like this. Right here, so everybody can see. And so here's a little demonstration. These are about a quarter at, at, at Home Depot, if you want to. But, but this is what, when this was written by a good friend of mine, he wanted me to use this to show the demonstration. Because the main thing that we have to understand about when, when Jesus laid his hands out on that cross, they didn't just hit it one time. And that was it. It wasn't just a one time. They kept hitting until they got it to where they felt it was sufficient to be down inside. So I'd just like to go through this with you as you read that with me. So we're going to, I'm not really going through his hand. Open up a little bit. Otherwise, this is going to hurt. Yeah, okay. But it goes like this. You died for me in agony upon that tree at Calvary. You set me free from captivity to live with thee in tranquility, tranquility throughout eternity. That's a very poignant and amazing, and yes, you can clap and say amen to that because it's an amazing thing, bud. We're doing good. See, it didn't hurt. We're good. Okay. Thanks, Robert. But that's, that's one of the things that we forget to talk about a lot is what it took to get those spikes in his hands and feet. No, I'm not going to go through the medical description of the crucifixion. I don't know. Has anybody ever read the medical description of the crucifixion? It is available, and if you want to, it's, it's pretty gruesome. It's, it's more agony than, than we realize when we think about it. And today, what we're going to talk about is even in that agony, while he was up on that cross, while he was up on that cross, he basically gave us some some words of I want to say messages we're just going to call them messages because that's what they were and the title of the tonight is is just called I just want it to be from the cross the last words of Jesus and when we talk about Good Friday I had a friend Monday night we have Bible study and she says she says why is it called Good Friday I said great question that's a very good question. So then I had to ask her, I said, so you tell me, who is it good for? And she thought, and she thought, does anybody else, what, who was it good for? 
They say, amen. You guys, they can't be touched. Pastor Jeff, good job. So he's, it's an amazing thing to see how, how all of a sudden we realize it's called Good Friday, even though he suffered and was tortured and crucified in an amazing way for us. We get to call it Good Friday. So as he was on that cross, in the first four books of, of the New Testament um, in the Bible, what is called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one of those books has a different part of the words that Jesus said while he was on the cross. And that's what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. We're going to talk about the fact that there were seven, what we call seven last words or phrases. Hopefully I'm not going to trip over my own cane here. That would be bad. Um, but we're going we're gonna to talk about these seven last words. And the reason is, is because each one had a message. Now, continuously, if you've been in the church a while, you've heard Good Friday sermons where everybody talks about the words that Jesus gave from the cross on his, on his last day on earth. And as he gave these words, everybody assumes that it, it meant exactly what it said, which, for the most part, it did. But each one of them meant something different to different groups of people. So everybody comes to me and they say to me, hey, Bill, why did he pick such random phrases? Well, because he had to make sure that seven groups of people that were around him that day and throughout the world, that they would understand the part of the message he wanted them to hear. So we're going to look at each one of the phrases. I'm going to give you the scriptures. And, and if you have a Bible there, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can look at these. If you, if you don't have one, you've, you've got them down underneath the church. And if you need to take those Bibles home, please feel free to do so as well. And um, let's look at that. So, so the amazing part of this is when we look at the four Gospels, we're going to see each author recording what, what Jesus heard, what they heard and what he did. And they all spoke to the why I believe Jesus said what he did in his time of agony and pain. So here we go. Jesus' last words, there, there are seven phrases, like I said, and Jesus said in his last dying uh, breaths. So let's do with the first one. The first phrase is actually in two Gospels, Matthew 27, verse 46, or you can turn to Mark 15 and start at verse 22. And, and most of these phrases you've heard many times. We're going to talk about what they mean. For instance, his, in, this, in this part, when he starts, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, sabachthani. When, when he says that in the Aramaic, he's trying to make a point to somebody. Somebody very specific. Many people feel that Jesus was complaining about that God was leaving him alone and forgetting about him in his time of agony. Not even true. Not even close to being true. I don't believe that's the case there. Well, Jesus knew who worked hard to get him crucified. See, there was this group of people called the Sanhedrin of the day. They worked very hard to make sure that Jesus got upon that cross because they truly believed that if they could get him crucified, the nonsense of him being the Messiah would quit and be over with. What they didn't realize was that was part of God's plan. That that was the plan because the only way that man in his sinful state could be alone and be up to God is the fact that we needed a good permanent sacrifice, a holy one that could never be disputed. And that's why Jesus went there. 
So the Pharisees of the Sanhedrin, who knew the scriptures very well, and Jesus knew how well they knew the Old Testament scriptures, this message was specifically for them. And here's why. If you have the Bible and you want to turn to Psalm 22 in it, you will see these exact words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, what people don't realize is he was quoting an Old Testament scripture to tell those knowledgeable ones who put him on the cross. He was letting them know, I know who you are. And guess what? Here it is. My God, my God, why have you, I'm, I'm fulfilling that prophecy. My dear family, if you read all the way through Psalm 22, here's what you get at the end. You start to find out that as he was letting everybody know and the Pharisees and the mankind and everything that was going on, that in the very end of Psalm 22, in verse 27, it says, and all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before God. He began with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Much like David did when he started this psalm. And as David began to get, get freed from what was going on with Saul and David, Saul and Jonathan following him around, he began to give praises at the end of Psalm 22. And from, Psalm, from verse 27 out to the end, you find out real quick that all of a sudden, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because, and all the nations will remember. Wow. You see, the Pharisees knew what he was doing. The Roman guards down below him said, look at that, he's calling out on God, and let's see if God delivers him. I can't say they're stupid on the stream well I guess I really just did but the point just is this is that they didn't get it do we have anybody today who doesn't get it who doesn't get God's message that's the number is staggering who don't get it so we want them to know that even the Pharisees who knew that his life was not taken from him that he was given it freely his point was simply this, okay, I'm screaming in agony. Yes, you accomplished me getting in pain, but guess what? At the end of the day, all the nations will turn and worship the Lord our God. And that was his point in that first phrase. Let's go to phrase number two. Phrase number two is in Luke 23, uh, verse 34. You got all these people around there. You've got the soldiers down there going for his clothes. You've got all the people that are down there watching him get crucified, watching him hang there in agony. The soldiers are making fun. The Pharisees are feeling very proud, pumping their chest and feeling very proud of themselves. And what does Jesus say? Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm coming back one day and y'all are in trouble. He didn't do that. He said, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. In other words, when they don't know, you can't hold them responsible, Lord. So, Father God, please look at them through my sacrifice on this cross and the blood that's being shed for them. May they hear and know your words of peace, sacrifice, of love, and care for your creation in such a manner that you would send your only son 
on this earth to die for me, for them. And when he's, as he's saying this, he included the crowd around the cross at the time of Jesus, included those who walked and talked with him over the last three years. As they wept, they also, <laughs> they also may have felt some guilt for not doing more to keep him from going up there. Because at one point in time, when Peter just says, God, I'm not going to let you go up there. And Jesus looks at him and goes, Satan, get behind me. I have to do what my father has told me to do. But the crowd also included those who later would feel guilt when they realized what they had really done. Think about the soldier at the bottom of the cross that looks up after the sky turns dark and says, truly, this was the son of God. Even those who didn't believe all of his ministry for three years started to realize who he was. And even in his excruciating pain, he wanted them to know that he loved them, he forgave them for the events of the day, and even in the last day when he returns, when they come to him in humility, that he's going to remember them. And the next one proves that. Look at Luke 23, verse 43. He says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. As Jesus was hanging on the cross, there were those two other ones. Those, those, there was two next to him who knew they belonged there. Both of them knew what they had done to belong to be crucified. They knew that. One of them on one side was the one who said, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's just get this over with. Uh, you know, let me, be, let me die in peace. And the other one looked over and said, Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. You talk about a, a last-minute confession and, and, and rejuvenation to come to Christ. The man's hanging on the cross, realizes who this, who this really is next to him. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks at him right then and there without hesitation or anything else. Jesus can look into his eyes and know his heart. My dear family, understand when he looked into his eyes and knew his heart, for every human being that's on this earth, he does the same thing. He looks into your eyes and he can see that you are the one that's standing there asking, God, please, God, help me. I don't even know what I'm doing. I don't know how to come to you. I don't know where to come to you. There are those who've never stepped a foot in a church, never stepped a foot in a place of worship where they can stand before Jesus himself and say, help me, forgive me, for I am yours. I surrender. So whose job is it to help them get there? Wow, it got quiet in here really quick. I should see like 125 hands going up right now, guys. Oh, there's a few. That's great. Okay, good. Thank you. By the way, just in case you didn't get it, <laughs> it's yours. <laughs> just thought I'd share that with you real quick. But here's the point. Here's the point. When Jesus was telling him that, he was saying to everyone around him, he told everybody, because remember, all those people at the foot of the cross, because when it, he was from where this screen is, people were right here. And people could stand and hear what he would say to them. And as he looks over at that thief and shouts it out, today, and he doesn't say this quietly, like, oh, today you'll be with me in paradise. The man's in excruciating pain. 
understand today you're going to be with me in paradise. That's what it sounds like to be in excruciating pain. Some of you know the surgeries I've gone through in the last few years. I know pain. And I'm trying to tell you that at this point, Jesus had no reason to forgive him, to accept him into the kingdom because Jesus knows who he is by looking in his eyes. And yet at that point, Jesus says to him, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Please know that he does the same for every one of us. Let's look at number four. Number four in Luke 23, 46, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In this phrase, we hear Jesus crying out to his father, leaving no doubt that he was the son of God in the flesh. To all of the naysayers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all of the people of the Sanhedrin who were on the ground. And there was people down there from all over the world. And they were the ones that were remembering this moment because they could tell it was a big moment in all of history. And as they're standing there looking at this, they hear him crying out to God as a father. There was no doubt in their minds at that point in time that he was crying out to his father. And to the naysayers who could not believe that God sent his one and only son for this sacrifice, Jesus was proving to them that, yes, my father sent me for this reason. As a father, <laughs> not real sure I could do that. For all of you dads, not sure I could. I, I, I don't know that I'm that, who that is. But that's who our God is. And he is the one that decided that his son would be the one who would come down and give the price for all of our sins. And then as we look at number five, here's another human moment. In John, the book of John, chapter 19, verses 26 and 27. Jesus looks down and he knows that Mary is down there and he can see her weeping and, and there are, her, her friends are holding her up as she's watching her one and only son or her son be crucified. And, and, and he looks down and he, to Mary, his mother, and to John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Jesus says, woman, behold your son. And he says, looks at John and says, behold your mother. And, and the people want to know why that was. As a human son, as a human son, and not a, whole, a, a ghost son, in other words, there were those who think he really didn't come down as a human. Yes, he was a human son. And not only that, he was so much so that he loved his mother and wanted to make sure that before he left, she would be taken care of after he is gone. To one of those that he trusted most, he looked down and said, Behold your mother. He wanted the woman to know, looking down from the cross at Mary, the woman God chose to bring Jesus into the world was in pain and, and agony watching her son go through this. And Jesus, showing gratitude for all she had been to him, did not want her or anyone around her to think he was not thinking of her in his time of pain. 
And then when he was talking to John, when he said, behold your mother, John would spend, and there are letters that prove this, but John would spend the rest of his life taking care, and the rest of her life actually, taking care of Mary as if she was his own mother until her dying day. And there are letters that we have in the, in the Library of Alexandria that show this. What's fun is part of the letters, and they talk about the fact that these letters, part of them are in Aramaic and part of them are in Greek because her family was on both sides of that fence. So she had to make sure that everybody understood how grateful she was to John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And by the way, she called him that in a couple of her letters. As the same as, as, as John did in his book, in the, in the, the Gospel of John. And when we, when we see how much that, John, that Jesus made sure John would take care of his mom, and that mom knew it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. How many of you have seen the movie The Passion of the Christ? Tough to watch, isn't it? It's a hard movie to watch. I have many dear Christian friends who said, I saw it once. I'm not seeing it again. I saw it once because it's hard to watch. When you watch it, there's a part where Mary is running all the way through the town, trying to get to the closest spot she can get to her son to let him know she is there. She's running through the alleys. She runs through the streets. People knock her down and push her away. She tries to streak through the crowds. The crowds won't let her through. She tries to get there. She finally finds, she realizes he's going down what they call um, the Via Della Rosa, the, the way of the cross. But he's going down the Via Della Rosa, and she knows where he's going to end up. So she runs through the city and she gets to the point where she knows he's going to have to get to to be able to see her and she is within just a few feet of him finally and he gets down and he falls down on the cross and he kneels down on the cross and he looks down and realizes his mother is there and he gives her a big smile he's bleeding from head to toe and he looks at her and smiles and says look mom I make all things new even at that point, Jesus knew who he was. He knew what he was doing. He knew the fact that everybody wanted to know that he, he wanted everyone to know. He gave his life. Nobody took it. He gave it freely. And that was an amazing thing to watch. Now, another point of number six. When you get to number six, we're going to look at this at John 19, 28. John 19, 28, he looks up and he says, I thirst. Some translation says, I am thirsty. See, there were people of that day, and, and still today even, who doubt that Jesus was both man and God in the flesh. When Jesus made this statement, he was letting people know that he died as a human man. That he felt pain. He wasn't acting. God, was the Father, was allowing him to feel the agony of a crucifixion crucifixion and he's proving in Romans 5 8 there's a statement that that Paul as he's writing to the church in Rome he wants them to understand something that while we were yet sinners God did not spare his own son in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us again making the point that as Jesus says I thirst I'm thirsty they needed to understand this was a human man who gave his life so that we could spend eternity in heaven with him. And that's his whole, that was the only reason he came. That's what he came for. 
You know, why was he only here three years? Because in that three years, God knew, could tell that the seed was planted. And to this day, we can, we can see that none of us would be here if it wasn't for those 12 people, right? Amen? Because those 12 disciples were the ones that started the whole thing. And then the day of Pentecost, it grew to a little bit of five or 6,000 or something, you know. That even took better because they were from all over the world. And then you think about people at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch when he stopped by the roadside and Philip says, what is that you're reading? And he says, I don't know. There's no one to explain it to me. So Philip got up, explained it to him. He said, hey, well, what's to stop me from getting baptized? Here's a puddle. Let's do it now. Bam, done. Philip was gone and the Ethiopian went home to write amazing annals of who Jesus Christ was in the Ethiopian country. When he started talking about how as a human being you could dedicate your life to Jesus and service for him, he did not necessarily mean as the Ethiopian's letters back to his home country have been translated into English and you can find them. And as he wrote back to the Ethi in Ethiopia, he said to them, here's the thing that amazes me about this man, Jesus of Nazareth. He appeared 40 times to over 100 people afterwards. When people thought he was gone, he appeared. But is this truly the man who we saw bleeding from the cross? How can this be? And then at the very end of his letter, he just says, it can only be explained by the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? We all agree with the Ethiopian at that point. That's the only way it can be explained. And then we get to Jesus' final words. John 19.30. And I wanted to get here because sometimes there is a miscommunication. That's the way I say it wasn't completely translated, but I'm not going to say that. The, the fact that it says, he says, to telestai, or as it says in the English Bibles, it is finished. And while that is the statement, it is finished. Does that make you wonder what it is? And then whatever it is, how it is finished by what? See, I mean, there's, there's a lot of words. In those three words, there's a lot of phrases. But let me tell you, in, when we go back, and I did some translation this week because you all know me well enough by now that I have to do that. It's a crazy man thing that I do. But here's the thing about it. When you go back and look at the original language, here's what the hearers of this, in his language, would have heard. Because when they listen to it, what they hear is they hear it has been completed. It has been completed. Have you ever been in an argument with someone? Say, let's say that you're trying to tell somebody that chocolate milk is better than white milk. Okay? And they'll sit and argue with you and say, oh, no, that's not true. That's not true. White milk's the best. That's the only way. That's the way God made it, and it's the best. And, and you have these things. So then all of a sudden, somebody else comes along and goes, I tell you what, you like chocolate milk, you like white milk, we're going to split up, we're all done. Okay, it's all good. Right? And yet, you two people keep going back and arguing with each other. Or you're trying to tell your siblings something very smart. See, I, I have sisters, three, 
had three, one passed away and went to be with Jesus. But, but I have two. And, and they'll sit there and argue with me all the time. And you know, do know they're always wrong. But anyway, when we, when we sit and talk to each other, sometimes we look at each other and do that. My mom used to walk in and go, hey, argument's over. It's completed. It's done. And then two hours later, we come back. We're still arguing, of course, about who's right and who's wrong. Mom says, hey. It has been completed. It's all done. There's no room for arguments, no room for battles, no room for fighting. It's all finished. Guess what? That's what Jesus was trying to tell a certain group that was surrounding the cross. Who else do you think won the day, the day that Jesus died? I'd like to propose two groups. The first group that he gave this message to, that it's stop fighting. It has been completed. It is done. You have lost the battle. He is talking to one group. The first group is this, to all of mankind. We don't have to worry any longer whether or not, and I hear this a lot where people say, well, I, am I really going to heaven? Are you sure I'm going to heaven? How do you know that person's going to heaven? How do you know there is a heaven? How do you know? And they're asking these questions. So there's still a battle going on over this argument. To tell us die, people. It has been finished. It's done. The second group of people. The enemies of God who want to steal your hearts. Paul calls them those the principalities of the air. In Ephesians 6, there were those evil demons who were celebrating the fact that they got Jesus up on that cross. They had a great day and everything else. They didn't read the end of the book. Of course, they didn't have it then, but they, they still didn't understand what was going on. They won the day. So as Jesus is hanging on that cross and his blood is drumming down, and that's why it's red, because this is the day that it just ran red with his blood. And as it ran red, as the cross ran red, the enemy of God is all celebrating. The powers of evil got to celebrate and understand, yes, we won. Jesus is dead. <laughs> Until they heard to tell us I. Once they heard to tell us I. Wait, what? what? What's been finished? Wait, what? What did, wait, what did he mean? You see, the spirit world understands the spirit world. So what, in that phrase, in that phrase, they knew all the languages that it comes in. They knew in Aramaic and Greek, in, in Hebrew, in the Septuagint, whatever language you wanted to see, whether it was Italian or whatever of the day, to tell us I still meant the same thing. The powers that the evil got the message, the powers of evil got this message. No matter how much you keep tormenting my creation, the battle is over. It has been completed, and Jesus has won. That's how it works. That's the end of the story, family. When he went to this cross and he screamed to tell us die, he wasn't just talking to us to tell us, Quit worrying about the battle. It's over. It's done. It's won. The seven last words of Jesus came to all of these groups to give one message. They came to give the message. 
that his win over death was so complete and predicted that we in the 21st century can be grateful through one act of remembrance that Jesus gave us when he said, do this in remembrance of me. Josh, can you come on back up? So what we're going to do tonight now is we're going to take time to participate in a communion service. And for those of you that are visiting and don't know how we do this, we're gonna, I'm going to say a prayer. And then if you would, I'm going to have you just step out into the aisle. Come on up. Um, are you guys going to, who's serving? Yeah, whoever's serving, come on up to serve. And then we'll do it, and I'll, I'll be down there. But we want to participate in the one service that Jesus asked us as part of to remember. There are two things he asked us to remember. They're called the ordinances of the church. One is baptism. We can talk about that at a different time. Otherwise, I would take the time. But this one is very special. Because this was when he said to Telestai. It's done. So when you take of the bread and take of the cup, remember that. And in the book of Mark, it says in the book of Corinthians, Paul even explains it better. He says, it is as you take this, you're going to take it in remembrance of me. So why don't you folks come on up. And everybody, and as you grab your emblems, would you go back and take a seat? Before you partake, and we'll partake together.
And the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks for it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup. It is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you do in remembrance of me. Let's partake. Father God, we know that it was an amazing sacrifice that you would give your one and only son to go to that cross for us. And for that we are grateful, O oh God. I lift up my family in this building those friends who need to become family. If there's any here who do not, do not know what it means to have that battle finished, may they not leave this place without finding you, Lord. In your agony, you gave all for us so that we could spend eternity with you for that Lord Jesus we cry out thank you from a grateful heart in Jesus holy name we pray amen did you want to come up okay. 
just on me. Hi, church. I wanted to let you know that we wanted to offer something special as well tonight, so I brought some anointing oil with us. I have uh, quite a few elders in the building with us tonight, and we just wanted to offer a time after the service for you to just stay and pray. If you have something that's been troubling you, if you have some health issues, if you just, I mean, the beautiful thing about the Holy Week is it allows people to consider church, and it's okay to come. And we just want you to know it's okay to come for the rest of your life. It's okay to come next week, next Sunday, and every day. You don't have to pass the building anymore and wonder what's going on in here. This is what's going on in here. We know there's a way. We know there's a truth, and we know there's a life. And tonight you heard that he was speaking to people just like us. And I want to speak to all of you tonight and just say, if, if you came here tonight and something's really been on your heart, maybe it's a health issue. And that health issue's been overwhelming you. The cross gives us a way through. And on Sunday, when we get a chance to come back in this building, even more people will be willing to come on Sunday. Between now and Sunday, maybe the opportunity of a lifetime for you to ask a family member or a friend or that neighbor you've been walking the dog by for the last 10 years. You'd be absolutely dumbfounded to know what happens when you just open up your heart to someone and say, hey, would you like to come to church? Would you like to do some Easter meal with us, something? Invite them to lunch afterwards. Do whatever you can. But I just wanted to offer that time right now in light of communion. So I'm going to be up here. Bill's going to be up here. I have a bunch of elders. If you would like to stay, if you want to come forward, if there's anything we can pray for you, we would love to do that. And I also just want to let you know that this is not the end. This is only the beginning. We call it good because although he's heading to the tomb tonight, on Sunday he's going to rise. And when he rises, church, he doesn't just rise for a day, right? He is risen. He is risen indeed. And I can't wait to share that with you on Sunday. But I just wanted to make sure you know right now, if you have anything that you would like to pray for, we just want to conclude the service with an opportunity to be humbled before the Lord in consideration of what he actually gave on that Good Friday. Bless you all. I'll be forward. Bill will be forward. Robin. The Word became flesh 
for my sin and death. Now you're 